3: Hello and welcome to the and 9 podcast. It's Niall and Andrea here bringing you the best in new music and chat and... Uh I'm feeling very good, Andrea, how are you? I'm
0: very good, thank you. Might, <laughs> might,
3: might be a little reason for that, that uh, involve, involves a certain brown liquid in yeah. front of us. Hashtag uh, gifted. <laughs> yeah, we, decided o- we decided to open the Hennessy because we were given some, um, yeah. so cheers Thanks for Hennessy. that. Yeah, um, Yeah, so <laughs> on this week's podcast, it is not a tasting uh, podcast for, uh, for whiskeys or brandy or anything like that. It but is it actually, is a tasting
0: podcast for delicious new tunes. Exactly,
3: exactly. Nicely. Nicely pulled thank back. You, thank you. I don't know why I'm talking about the the brandy, but there you go. That's what we're doing. <laughs> uh, on this week's podcast, we're going to be talking about uh, the new Vampire Weekend album, Father of the Bride, which is out this Friday. Mm-hmm. Luke Sharkey talks to Soak, Bridie Mons Watson, um, uh, who has a new album out called Grimtown. And we'll also be talking a little bit more about Game of Thrones, presumably. <laughs> Probably. Because it's on everybody's mind. Um, But first, I don't know if you saw this during the week. um, On Twitter, one of the funniest things I've seen in a while um, to do with electronic music and dance music was... uh, it's this t- these people called Apex Twins. Apex Twins. Uh, is just that gonna, like EDM? Or? Yeah. So I'm just going to play this this. Uh, what was she? Is she a YouTuber or something? I've
0: literally no idea. I had no context for this. Anyway, it was
3: yeah. I think that was a the problem. There was a video posted on Twitter without context, or yeah. It just said it's these people called Apex Twins, and it's this girl uh, presumably a Coachella um, at Apex Twin uh, who went to an Apex Twin gig. And this was her thought on us
4: so we get to this tent and we walk in and it's a weird ass vibe like it's a weird edm vibe it's not your typical like dylan francis diplo like it's like it's weird it's not enjoyable necessarily so i'm kind of like okay something's off about this but like let's watch so we're kind of there and we're watching and then all of a sudden, and I have clips of this, guys, don't worry. It's this people called Aphex Twins, okay? I didn't know anything about them. I start hearing, like, the weirdest noises. It's, like, literally making me feel, like, scared. It's making me, like, feel the music. Like, it's making me understand, like, why they're crying. Like, yeah, I don't know. It's hard to explain. It was, like, an emotional thing. Seb, <laughs> he best described it as, like, I felt violated. Like, my soul was violated. And that's exactly how we
3: so yeah, that, that is a totally accurate uh, representation of an Apex Twin live gig. In That's fairness the to her. thing.
0: I am here to defend this girl. Oh, to I the think most people are. No, the earth. She is so accurate with her depiction of that gig. It's so wonderful. Um, yeah, I saw her getting dragged, and I feel like the people dragging her are fake. Apex Twin fans.
3: Yeah, because (laughs) if you're I mean, it is like his live show is like a violation of the soul. So they're very astute in their uh, observations. Absolutely. Considering they know nothing about the context of who Apex Twin is. Yeah. Or Apex Twins. The um, Apex Twins. And certainly not EDM. It's the EDM thing that still gets me.
0: That's the thing. Americans calling like dance music or electronic music EDM always grinds my gears. And I know it's not their fault because that's what it's marketed to them as. But it
3: just, it gets up me i'm like oh no <laughs> i love how just like how you know open she is to it all the same she's like one the like my favorite line there it's it's not enjoyable necessarily yeah yeah <laughs>
0: it's
2: like well, she but she stuck we, around yeah, yeah they
3: stuck around to watch it she, she oh, wanted to see to what
0: the sus was we
3: spared you the uh the uh the video clips that she does play which is just uh baby's crying which you know i've seen an afx 20 gig. i don't remember babies crying but you know I wouldn't put it past him. Absolutely and He's not. certainly done that in the past. There was an interesting discussion um, about a month ago on the more like top tier dance music sites like uh, Resident Advisor and Mix Mag and all those kind of things, where they were talking about uh, Apex Twins' set, because his his live set is essentially his own tunes mixed with other people's songs. And he's played a lot of like Irish artists, like uh, Lacquer, for example, and um, Ian McDonald. He's played some Lacquer songs in the past. Uh, I saw him last time at Primavera. I was not in the mood for it, but he played like "Roy of the Ravers" and stuff that most people made, I mean, that was a well-known song at that point. But he play he's always unearthed these like strange um, electronic music songs that he will put into a set, mm-hmm. and it became this like people were starting to wonder: Is it okay? That this um artist, Apex Twin, is up on these big stages at festivals playing these unknown people's music mm. without credit. And it was like I Where know. are we going with this?
0: Well, I suppose if, if you go to a festival and there's a DJ playing, they're they're technically. I think it's because he's without built without as credit. a live set, do you know? Sure, they're yeah. Like, that, I think that's he's where He's the playing problem other would people's be.
3: music and they he's getting paid a lot of money to play at that festival. Right. And yeah. because of that, he's actually It's not a DJ set necessarily Mm. He's actually playing Other people's work
0: But does he have to Seek (laughs) permission from the artist To use them? No of course not
3: No not in a live context Yeah Yeah. yeah. But like you wouldn't In terms of copyright Or like you'd be covered By your licensing stuff um, Mm. Interesting For public performance Presumably The festival has to get A public performance license For Every performance and every to cover their festival so um yeah, yeah it was I mean, it was like this that. weird thing that was like oh okay this is a thing now
0: well it's obviously it it, it might be the case that people will then go and seek out oh that's artists, it well that's totally so like that's there's, fine, there's but it's also, thousands
3: of apex twin rabbit apex twin fans who go to these gigs and then kind of uh you know unearth these songs yeah and it's kind of like literature. crate digging
0: but yeah. at a festival yeah
3: yeah, so I just thought it was interesting. It's something that I hadn't seen for a while, that people were kind of going, "Oh, it's okay. There's another thing I saw last week which got me thinking about um, things. It was like, I, I think it was uh, Lauren, I can't remember her second name now, from Red Bull. Um, I just remember this now. Um, she was saying that, is it okay that we are sending superstar DJs around the world with the same records as some local people have to play? um basically, their DJs are affecting climate change by the amount of uh, <laughs> you know they're not contributing positively is what her, what she was saying right. you know like air miles there's so many DJs traveling around the world playing in these various parts you know it's like it's something that dance music um, industries seems to be woken up to which is an interesting mm. thing isn't it? Look like,
0: I, I mean as somebody who's just been presented with this idea and has obviously done no re- research um, I think we need to focus more on the like CEOs flying around the world making deals about oil and you know there there are bigger <laughs> fish to fry when it comes to carbon emissions <laughs> um, i don't i don't think we need to start with dj's is yeah. what i am saying no, fair but enough. but it um, does it does show a a, con, a considerate attitude towards um the impact of
3: travel yeah. i just thought it was an interesting thing in a way you could almost say that it's um you know the political correctness thing gone mad.
0: <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> In I one mean, way, do you know what I mean? It's like, climate it's like, change activism gone mad. Like you
3: yeah, activism <laughs> gone mad. You're not allowed to do anything mm. anymore without like be, having a positive effect on on the world. I but, suppose um, the
0: difference here is that it's it's these communities who are discussing it and not people calling them out for it.
3: Yeah, um, I guess
0: they're throwing their hands up and saying, "Look, we know that we're not." Um, impact we're not we're having a detrimental impact in the environment but everybody is i'd i'd look more towards the festivals that they're flying to and i think their use of like plastic cups and things like that yeah, yeah, like yeah, I'd, lo- yeah. I'd like much sooner look at that than i would i think it
3: was just somebody like lauren martin uh, who does some red bull stuff and mm. writes for i think well she was working for red bull radio is now Donut i'm not sure what she's doing now but um that's it, finishing up she's still working for it I guess but I think it was she was just more wondering out loud about it you know yeah. and I just thought it was an interesting thing something I'd never seen before um it is yeah so there you go anyway. but I
0: mean electronic music um by its nature tends to be very sustainable given that there's not a whole lot of uh physical production involved un- unless you're literally DJing with records you know a, a lot of yeah a lot of like edm uh sets will be you know you've got your laptop you buy it once it's grand like it's yeah fine. it was
3: just a particular uh question that she posed i think yeah. uh that was like somebody something i'd never really thought about before yeah. you That's know she does have a point if there is one point and one point is like why are we sending uh, djs from other places to other places to play where you could get somebody local who has this similar collection of music. Sure. It's like the value of the superstar DJ thing. It's mm. like, is it really as, as prominent as it should be? Mm. Ultimately, they sell tickets. Yeah. Anyway, that was a tangent from what I was originally talking about. No, it's, it's, it's um, a good point. Definitely. Um, it's one
0: to ponder for sure.
3: I actually can't even find the tweet now, but there you go. Um,
0: I think actually the last thing on this is that I think the difference between like that point is kind of highlighting a difference between DJs as live music and bands as live music because I don't think we we would call out a band for that. Oh, true. And I think yeah, that yeah, that's mi- enough, yeah, that's maybe yeah. a problematic kind of difference to to make because a good DJ is as good as a good band. Yeah, that's you
3: fair know? enough, and I would I would totally agree with that. Yeah. and I don't think that's um, unfair to say uh, at any point that you know they don't have any craft so therefore they shouldn't be allowed to exactly, travel exactly yeah
0: oh well anyone um, can press play you know it's it, 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 but it just came from I, I know it's
3: somebody who attitude. writes about electronic music so yeah, um, yeah. I was just a bit surprised that, oh, uh, interesting nonetheless yeah and then obviously we had a lot of uh, artists lashing out a lot of stuff about criticism at the moment as well God, so almighty, much stuff like yeah. we, we kind of spoilers for the, the new thing.
0: Vampire Weekend album if you haven't
3: heard
0: <laughs> <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> welcome to spoiler week good yeah, lord um,
3: it was Donald Clark in the Irish Times talking about his uh, event Avengers uh,
0: review. It was uh, a fantastic rebuttal that he he, he wrote about yeah, that. It was yeah. really, really good. He went for the jugular for, for these kind of people. Like, it's, <laughs> I saw one of the, he, he mentioned it in the article, but I saw the tweet that, um, where some gentleman said that sharing your opinion of a film is a spoiler. And I was like, ah, lads. Because I was kind of putting it into yeah, into the context insane. of like music journalism and, and music reviewing, like album reviewing. And I, I can't imagine writing about an album without referencing things on the album that haven't been released already in singles. Like that is is completely beyond
3: me. That is spoiler culture gone mad. That is insane. It is
0: insane. If you don't want spoilers, don't read the review.
3: Yeah, that was the thing. And he pointed out, like, the same people who were talking about this are the same people who pore over trailers and look for clues. Mm-hmm. And you're like, you can't have it both ways, lads. Mm-mm. You can't also look for clues for the next Game of Thrones episode and then give out if, if the episode leaks or somebody says something about it or you yep. haven't watched it yet. I don't know. There's um, a
0: difference between a spoiler and somebody saying that they like or dislike something or recommending something, which yeah. is the role of a film critic. It's here's how many stars it is. Here's why I thought it was good or bad. Go to see it or don't go to see it. That's yeah. and it. And then know?
3: there was another, uh, Michael Che was given out about uh, somebody who gave out about uh, his co-host on Saturday Night Live. Um, oh, I didn't see this. Uh, yeah, there's a really good article about it. I will post a link to it in the podcast uh, link. Just about criticism and people, especially people with large followings. Um, you know, is it fair game to call out somebody who's a critic or somebody who says anything negative if you have a very large following of people Mm. who you can direct at them I think that's the problem I think when you when you weaponize your followers towards somebody else that's problematic for me
0: I I think so too like I think as critics we we have to have a thick skin and we have to always like you know be able to stand behind the things that we write and the opinions that we have and it it comes with the job that People are going to disagree with you. But I completely, like, I absolutely think that there is a difference, for example, between Lizzo, which we talked about last week, saying, you know, there's a problem with critics and there's a problem with this particular critic who wrote for Pitchfork at them, which which she didn't do. But that would have been a far worse um, kind of irresponsible thing to do because... You know, online is is real life and it really can affect people and critics are people.
3: (laughs) (laughs) We're Um, people. I know, it's a a funny thing, like it then, what was it? And there was a one about uh, Ariana Grande tweeting about the bloggers, but actually the context for that was about some like... It's not a blogger like like a music blogger or anything like that. It was mm. like somebody like a TMZ style site, like somebody who right. clearly has money and is writing about something. Right, I'll so get the just context for completely. The word blogger I, I'm I'm <laughs> I'm very uh, I'm very. Um, organized this week. Okay, I have lots of thoughts going <laughs> ah, around in my that's head. that's okay. Um, but, but yeah, no,
0: I think that there's just a there's a wave of people calling out critics and asking what the role of critics are. It's not the first wave of this, of these attitudes and it won't be the last. It, you just kind of have to write it out and yeah, keep doing it, you know.
3: Yeah, it's funny one. Um, what else are we talking about this week? The band Churches, uh, very recently, um, did a collaboration with Marshmallow. Terrible song. It is a terrible song and it takes the the worst characteristics of Church's music <laughs> and mars it with the, the best characteristics of Marshmallow's music. I
0: don't know Marshmallow He like, is at all. He
3: is an EDM producer. Oh right. This is why I don't know. He wears know. a bucket on his head.
0: Oh sorry, him, him, oh, yeah. Him, yeah. No, He's massive. I couldn't in America. name a song. Um,
3: so uh in you play with fire when you play with uh when you do collaborations with artists like this who you know wear buckets on their head. Mm. Um you know, it is a thing. Apex Women also, another person who wears masks and stuff like that. Yeah. Um,
0: dead Mow 5. Yeah. <laughs> dead,
3: also. <laughs> <dead> <laughs> um, and then, so basically, the next track that came out after this church's collaboration was a marshmallow song with Chris Brown and Tiga. And as somebody like Lauren Mabry, who's been very vocal about uh, aggression she's felt as a woman from, from men and misogyny, um, She obviously and the band felt the need to call out this collaboration, which I totally understand. Mm -hmm. Um, They said, uh, We're really upset and confused by Marshmallow's choice to work with Tiga and Chris Brown. We like and respect Mellow as a person, uh, but working with people who are predators and abusers enables, excuses, and ultimately uh, endorses that behavior. Um, Which is, you know, I I get where they're coming from. Yeah. I guess one thing is like sentiment. Yeah, they did work with Marshmallow in the first place. So, I don't know. It was like, it it, it, did feel like
0: a problematic character. Not himself. No, he's just okay.
3: like a an EDM producer, like no one knows anything about his personal life or cares really. Whatever okay. he performed in Fortnite and okay. stuff like that. So he's big So with, he's grand. He's like big he's... with kids. Like yeah. and he plays big, big EDM festivals. Oh well that's
0: important then, right? Yeah.
3: So it it's like if you play with Fire and you try and increase your audience, there's always a chance for somebody a band like Churches you could end up um, damaging yourself in some way by association. This is what's happened in a way, like when you don't vet your collaborators. Yeah. We've seen it before with um, Justin Vernon. What was not it recently with him where he gave out about something? Oh, I have to think about this. My my brain is working very well today. Um, <laughs> we fine. But Chris Brown um, then responded to mm. churches on Instagram, um, <laughs> left an Instagram comment. Um, and I don't know, how long has it been since he baited up Rihanna? He, like, it's been it, a, it's been a while, but it, like no one's forgotten it.
0: Absolutely no, no. But I he's mean, still his, his fans have forgotten it. Like there's, but his he's fans still working in the music industry. He's no still problem. working in the music industry. He had a really, really successful song last year with Lil Dicky as well. That like blew up was really popular i i can't so yeah maybe read read the instagram comment he's, and yeah, uh, tell he, me whether or not this man is an abuser yeah
3: bunch of losers all caps these are the types of people i wish walked in front of a speeding bus full of mental patients. keep groveling over your own secure insecurities and hatred i'm black and proud and i know it hurts that you guys are struggling with life or peace so you are forced to see my success you aren't even number two remember second place only mean you lost first Good Day peasants,
0: when was the last time Chris Brown was number one?
3: Uh, I have no idea. I, well, I think he act- was number two. I just tried to actively avoid Chris Brown at yep, all times. Absolutely. So, uh, no, he, like, but look, he's, he's still an artist that gets much support from the yeah, industry. Um, he's an
0: absolutely deplorable character and yeah. he has no remorse. Um, and he just seems to like he, he didn't have to respond to that, you know, it yeah. he just seems to go out of his way to.
3: But I saw... Create him, you know, trouble for himself. He's still so... Uh, sorry, it was the Eminem uh, collaboration that he was on. Uh, Justin Berlin, I mentioned. Yeah, uh, yeah. Where he said he he collaborated and you're like, why... you don't? He, he ended up giving out about his lyrics and you're like, you know what Eminem does. Why did you collaborate with him? Yeah. Doesn't make any sense. Those kind of decisions. But... Like, this isn't a so I, I, thing,
0: are they label, Is it a label thing?
2: I presume is it so. A I presume thing? like
3: when you get to those like big major labels, they will often like suggest that you do collaborations with people to grow mm. both audiences, grow the um the Cross demographics, you know, kind of, all that yeah. kind of stuff. So, but yeah, Chris as a band, you have, like, you have to be like, Yeah, oh, maybe I don't do this. I, mean, I guess they were like marshmallow, massive in America, could really help us, but. You know, you also have to vet who they will work with. I mean, yeah, it's a lesson in that way. You know, so you I think, think about that
0: ch- churches come out of this looking fine. Um, you know, I I respect their decision to speak out about it, and especially as quickly as they did, it doesn't feel like a PR move or anything like that. They they also just don't kind of feel like that kind of band who would do PR moves like that. Um, so they come out of this looking fine, um, but. This, this marshmallow character, <laughs> um, I'm I'm not sure about now. You know, I don't know. think
3: he's I don't think he's responded to anything. Uh, yeah. that I can see anyway. Well, he doesn't but, need uh, to.
0: He's a man in the music industry.
3: He's gonna. Well, he's a faceless man in the music. Faceless industry, man in like, the music industry. Yeah, literally, he's I gonna. Mean, it's going to have
0: success no matter what. And so is Chris Brown. And this is the hellfire
3: of culture that we live in. And it's terrible. Okay, great. Should we move on to our album Ooh. of the week? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, we're going to talk about it. Vampire Weekend's brand new album, Father of the Bride, which is out this Friday. Their first album in six years. Six years. Six years. This is This Life from Vampire Weekend.
2: I'm no dreams. Ten crumble at extremes. I just thought our dream would last. But longer, there's a time when every man draws a line down in the sand. We're surviving, we're still living. I stronger. Ooh, ooh. Ooh, ooh. you been cheating on, cheating on me.
3: That is Vampire Weekend, and the album is called Father of the Bride. Um, There's a lot been going on in Vampire Weekend's world in terms of personnel. Obviously, uh, Rostam left the band uh, since the last album, Modern Vampires of the City. That was um, the last album that he wrote. 2013. Uh, We arrive at this one with 18 tracks, uh, a very different overall vibe. A lot of guests, uh, Danielle Haim is in there three times. We've got the likes of Steve Lacey contributing to some tracks. Um it the whole thing is just under an hour long. It is a very different um on the surface anyway, it's very different uh, than a lot of their previous work. It does have a lot of the shared a lot of the DNA of their previous work. That song in particular, it's got that kind of undeniably Paul Simon uh you know, guitar line and all that kind of yeah. stuff. Um we've also heard songs like Sunflower, which is kind of a nice weird um, melodic tune um, and yeah Harmony Hall as well which was kind of a funny weird kind of Harmony Hall
0: is fantastic yeah It's a good it's... track
3: but it was, a, it was a weird like a bit of a curveball when it arrived and yeah. you are like oh what is yeah. this um, so 18 tracks Father of the Bride Andrea you're a fan tell me what you think
0: So I think there's so much to get into about this album so first of all it's a double album um, what does a
3: double album even mean anymore?
0: Well, that's, that's my question. Um, when a double album comes out um, and the primary way that people listen to music is on, you know, Spotify and streaming sites, I feel like a double, a double album is is a really nice way for people to just be given everything. Mm. And I, I tend to come to this album now, having listened to it for a couple of weeks, I sort of see it as a bit of a choose your own adventure. I can make like three albums out of these 18 tracks that are completely different albums. And I think that while I'll I'll get my criticisms out of the way first before I start gushing about it. Um it is long um in terms of it's it, it's just under an hour, so it's not actually that long. No, I don't think it
3: feels that long either. It doesn't I feel think like a slog at ever at any
0: point. I, I think there are dips. There are there are track runs that I'm a bit, I'm like, this is a little bit bloated, but I will defend them for that activity of picking and choosing what you want, putting them into different playlists. When when I was first coming to this album, obviously it's called Father of the Bride, my first couple of listens, I was like, well, well this is a concept album, you know, about a wedding and a marriage. And it is that, but it also isn't. And I think that you can see that especially on the EP that they released, which was, um, I think, This Life and Unbearably White was the, right, was the title of the EP, which is six tracks. And not one of them have the kind of the wedding theme in it. But then when you delve into the album, um, it's it's there kind of woven throughout. So that's one. And then you've got the EP and then you've got kind of what's left. Hmm. And I think it's a really exciting venture for that. I I feel like people will think that it's too long, but I will defend it for it's choose your own adventureness.
3: <laughs> um, I enjoyed the album overall. I think it is um, the indie equivalent of Drake's More Life playlist. It's kind of feels a bit like that. It's where this... You you call it choose your own Avenger, I feel like it's just uh, it feels like a less lower stakes almost than an album in some way. It's like kind of mm. bright and breezy most of it, uh, uh, melodically anyway and um, mm. musically. Um, and you got three songs with Danielle Heim, which is kind of like there's a bit of a country vibe to it as yeah. well. There's uh, I'd consider
0: those the wedding songs.
3: Yeah, exactly. They're like, but they're broken up around the track one, track nine, and track fifteen. Yeah. Um. So it's kind of like, yeah, you're checking back in. I think they're in. strategically placed. Yeah, I totally. Yeah, I think you're right. Um, I'm liking the Steve Lacey songs. They appear together. Um, I'll, I'll really like uh, Unbearably White. And mm. um, there's not much in this I don't really like, if I'm honest. I yeah. think I think I feel like I just enjoy the whole thing. Yeah. <laughs> and it's not like um, we were discussing this earlier on. Um I was a big fan of the first two Vampire Weekend albums um, and naturally enough, they had a very specific sound and, you know, African-inspired indie music that could be very problematic right now Mm -hmm. if they were to come out like that. Um, And Unbearably White kind of does address that a little bit in a way. Um, But I just really appreciate, even though overall there's probably not like one, I really like this life. I like a lot of the songs on it there's not a lot that really jumps out of me that I'm going to come back to a lot, but mm. it just, as, an, as a collection of music, basically as a playlist, I'm enjoying this a lot. That
0: Yeah, I mean... And that's how I feel about it. I'm
3: just like, this is an enjoyable bop. It, this totally works for the 21st century listener. It's something that people are going to slip on and not really think too much about, and then they'll, it'll seep into them, and maybe they'll find some of their favourite songs. Because they're Vampire Weekend, because they're one of the biggest indie bands in the world, biggest, like... American rock bands Mm. well rock isn't kind of the wrong term for them really I don't think they always feel like a bit more considered and Oxford shirt uh, wearing than that kind of thing but uh, and they're really embracing that even more I think in this Um, yeah uh, so the other thing about it is that obviously Rostam is gone has his absence um, where do you feel his absence on this
0: I don't feel it too much I think he was brought in for a few Songs and I think you can kind of tell when he's there. Um, you know those kind of choral backings. Uh, they're, they're at least the the remnants of of that Rostam sound that was you know all over Modern Vampires of the City. That um, I think at the time or for for Modern Vampires of the City, I think the the presence of the over presence of Rostam annoyed a lot of people. Mm, they right, didn't enjoy yeah. the mood of the album. I loved it. I'm a big, big fan of Rostam, big fan of his of his solo work as well. But um, I, I, when he left the band, I remember kind of mourning the the loss of that because I I love Rostam and, and Ezra Koenig's relationship musically. I think that they, you know, Ezra Koenig is like a, a gorgeous, bright puppy and Rostam kind of, just gives this kind of hazy
3: moodiness to to yeah. the whole thing. It's contrast.
0: Yeah, it, it's complete contrast, uh, and this, it works. This feel,
3: does it feel like all kind of light?
0: No, I don't think so. I think, I think on this album, I mean, if if you take "Unbearably White," I don't think that that's a, a necess- I, I think it's it's a it's one of the best songs on the record, and it's one of the best songs that they've ever recorded. Um, but the kind of the existentialism of it and the existentialism that kind of runs throughout the lyrics of the whole album, um, I think rooted in that original kind of vampire weekend, you know, kind of intellectual lyrics and lyrics that do make you ponder, but there's also these, you know, brilliantly upbeat and, you know, melodic, moments as well like I I think that there are songs on this that are the best songs they've ever made with the exception of Hannah Hunt which is you know uh, above criticism for me you you stand that song I stand that song but I mean you you take like you take Harmony Hall you take Bambina you take This Life that's a run of three incredible songs four because Big Blue follows it How Long I Can Do It Out, Unbearably White's Fantastic, Um, My Mistake's Great, is Great, Flower Moon's Great, 2021's Great Um, And Jerusalem, New York, Berlin is excellent. You're skipping the Heim songs there. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) No, I'm just, um, it's not that I don't like them. They just wouldn't be my favorite ones on the record. I think she sounds great. And I think that when you're listening to the, with with my like three album theory, when you're listening to the wedding album, they are obviously instrumental in that. Um, But I, I think this is absolutely fantastic. And I can... I can allow for the moments of bloat in order to kind of, I feel like if, if, if they released one album out of this and then they released the rest of the songs as B-sides, would I have wanted them? Absolutely. Would I have been happy when they arrived? Definitely. You know? Yeah. So this is just a way of them saying, well, here's everything. And, you know, they're, they're picking and choosing styles, With its, Ezra Koenig is picking and choosing different styles, he's trying different jackets on, he's trying all these new things and I absolutely want to be present for that. I don't think it lacks narrative, I don't think it lacks too much structure sure. because of that and I'm just, I'm really, really impressed with their growth as a group um, from Modern Vampires of City to this because I think it's a brave, brave
3: move. I wasn't a massive fan of Modern vampires of the City, and I yeah, seem to be one of me. one of the few people who didn't enjoy it. As I don't know; I just never got into it. Like, I,
0: I no, I don't think good songs on
3: it. You're um, definitely not
0: alone in that.
3: I think it's the production is a drag for me on it. It's like it's like it's it's very oppressive. It's very oppressive. That's I find it I very oppressive. It. But I I, I can't, every time I put it on, I'm like, no, I don't listen. To this. I
0: just think it's pure smoggy. Joy. I think it. The album sounds exactly how the cover art looks.
3: Yeah, but I don't enjoy that.
0: Sure, that's fine.
3: Um, (laughs) Yeah, like there's good songs on it. Then Young Unbelievers' good song, Hannah Hunt. I'm probably not as mad into it as you are, but Uh, um, Hannah Hunt is. I just overall when I listen to it, I'm just like, oh, this feels like oppressive. Like it's like hard work for me to listen to that.
0: Oh God, that song is is.
3: Um, but that's so yeah. Unfortunately, well, it might yeah. The only thing I'll say about that is, like, I haven't listened to Father Bright enough to know if it's going to stand up, and I don't think it will. No? (laughs) Because, I don't know yet, because it, just because it's various disparate styles, maybe it's something you'll come back to, um, to stick on every now and again. Um, I, I
0: think it'll stand
3: up it's a it's a nice background album and that's how I feel about it sometimes. I'm like, oh, this the, is nice. But the lyrics like very, on this album are fantastic. Yeah, I'll, I'll be honest, I haven't had a chance to to look at the lyrics yet. So mm. um, that's my caveat on that one. Like um, they're... But the, it's, lyrics are always the the last thing that cements something for me. It's, it's music first. Um, sure. So that means that right now I feel like I'm enjoying this much more than I thought I would mm. because of its different styles and... Different sounds, so I'm enjoying that. I'm enjoying that it's not just another Vampire Weekend record. Me I'm too. I'm enjoying that. Yeah. Um I think it's uh going to divide opinion probably on fans, I would say, because of its it's not straightforward. It's not it's I mean it is it is does colour between the lines in many ways, but it's not it does enough to stay outside the lines when it needs to. I, I think, think so too. Um,
0: yeah. I I think it, it picks and chooses the best of different styles that Koenig wants to try on, but it also has that undeniably vampire weekend sound. And I think his his lyrics undercut anything that might sound too background noise or too, you know, just kind of jovial for the sake of joy or elevator music. Yeah. His his lyrics just come in and and it's these kind of and the, the other thing that I that I really love about the lyrics especially on this album is that I feel like he's really honed his metaphors (laughs) like where on the first two albums everything was you know both musically and lyrically very disjointed and that was obviously like a major appeal of their sound um you did kind kind of have to reach for a lot of things I think if if you take a song like um unbearably white I think the metaphors that run throughout that song are fantastic. And they are so because they're simple, they're easy to access and they're relatable. And I think that he's he's honed storytelling on this album in a way that I've only really heard on a few of their songs before. Are you saying it's more universal? No, not necessarily that it's more universal, but that it's more, it's kind of like, it's... It's like he he's killed his darlings a bit. It's you know you you know when when you've written something and then you're like okay now take out all the adjectives and and you end up with a much more succinct point or a much more succinct metaphor. I think that that's happened a lot on this album, and I think as a lyricist he's grown quite a bit between Modern Vampires of the City, where he was very good, but I think
3: as a lyricist he's he's grown a hell of a lot between these two albums. So musically, it does feel like, I mean, Vampire Weekend, when they started, they were heavily inspired by other music. Do you mm. think they have, open question, do you think they've ever got really got away from that? Because a lot of this album sounds like influences stuff they've really loved and listened to. Mm. Uh, Brown Eyed Girl was one mentioned uh, with uh, This Life, mm. and it interpolates <laughs> I, You've been cheating on, cheating on me from I, I Love Mackinac. Mm-hmm. And uh, obviously, the Paul Simon thing has always pretty much been there. Yeah. And then you've got the country element, and you're like, oh, it's like I'm going through an American songbook here. Yeah. So Is that kind of vibe to that album I, as well? I
0: don't think they'll ever get away from that. And I don't really want them to because I don't. I don't see their picking and choosing of styles as being problematic. I see it as being
3: I wouldn't say it's problematic. I'm just saying Oh no, no, bit, definitely yeah. not,
0: but I I know I know that that word comes up a lot with with them and I just see it as a celebration of kind of, you know, cross-cultural and cross-genre styles and aesthetics that are brought together in in a way that is still uniquely Vampire Weekend. I don't know whether that's Mostly Ezra Koenig's voice, which is obviously very um, recognizable as soon as you hear it. But I, I've never felt like I didn't know the band through them. Playing too many different styles, it does happen sometimes with bands where you're like, ah, oh, you're trying on too many hats, and who's who's the real you? I never, I, nev- like I never like th- most that. things
3: with Vampire Weekend. It's very tastefully done.
0: Exactly, yeah, yeah, and I, I, I never felt like they lose themselves, yeah. th- themselves in that. Um, there's an argument musically in this life, but I think that that's just a, like that's that's. I a, think it
3: gets away with it because it's just such a good song.
0: Yeah, that's exactly it. Like, and it's that, that, it's so that blatant, riff every time. Like, I'm
3: just like, oh, if if you can write a, a Paul Simon song, do it. This, if you can write that this song, this life
0: is a brilliant. If Paul you can Simon write a song, Ju-
3: Julio uh, Julio in the schoolyard uh, kind of vibe write song, it. why not do it? Absolutely, like, I'm all for that. That's as long absolutely. as it sounds good. I am so
0: much happier that this life is in the world and not. Uh, as opposed to not being in the world, you know, yeah. it's one of those things where I'm just like, I I don't, there, there's not many musicians in the world who can write a good Paul
3: Simon song. Yeah. If you're
0: going to do it, do it. I That's definitely think it. there's
3: enough here for to get your teeth into and get your ears into. Definitely. And even if you don't like it all, oh, you know what? It's fine because there's a lot of short songs on here. There's stuff that kind of does feel like interludes as well, yeah, and that are generally interludes. Even like you talk about Bambina earlier on, that's like a, mm. a minute forty two seconds long. I do think that people who have
0: liked and and enjoyed the um, the EP that they put out with a few of those songs on it, six, six of the songs, um, will be. There's definitely a whole other thing on the album that they can enjoy like it really is like two different albums but it all just melded into one and I look forward to
3: making my three Vampire
0: Weekend albums
3: you can just just keep the one you have how about that yeah sure you can just keep the one you have but
0: I, I, I think it's fantastic I okay. a- you don't have it.
3: to make a playlist this week I'm going to make that? three <laughs> playlists this week <laughs> okay that's Vampire Weekend album is called Father of the Bride right out this Friday here's a bit more of it uh, from Sunflower featuring Steve Lacey
2: one flower in the morning, standing in the garden, all before you wait-
3: That is Vampire Weekend, song is called Sunflower. the album is called Father of the Bride, that is their uh, third album, and we are going to move on, sorry, fourth album, and we're going to move on to our songs of the week. We have our first track this week is from Stormzy, it is called Vossy Bop.
2: My brothers don't die, we just vossy, but So much vossy i am open up a vossy shop Mummy saying that I need to get some sleep All this flying overseas is always fucking up my body clock And all this stress has got me wrecking up my brain To hey, hey. so tell these little fishes back up off my name hey, hey. I ain't gotta be a rapper with a chain Cause the rules are kinda different when you're bad enough the game Ride Bad up the game, ride it up again yeah. Had him up before, I have him up again Yeah. Fake brothers, man, you're and more pretend yeah by himself, he's battle with his friends. Ah, oh, you man are so insecure, man, it's a joke. Man, it's a joke. I need a ball in Dior, cause I'm the goal. If you believe in your source, then raise a toast. These are some genius fools. So to say me some I need all the homage could you pay me some I not bangers on your baby mums y'all say I'm rude they want to see me nude my name's Steve chocolate I got nothing left to prove I got holes in my lapel rubbing shoulders with your
3: girl. So stormsy brand new song for him called Vossi Bop. Um his first song I believe really like official first single release since his album gang signs and prayers and um, which was probably one of the biggest uh, UK grime or yeah, Grime It was releases. just one of the biggest
0: albums of that year. Yeah, generally. certainly
3: in the UK. I remember being over that week when it was released and uh, his poster was absolutely everywhere. The other thing about it is that he was building up on uh, what the success of the likes of Skepta and Wiley and all that came before him. There's a really good book, which we talked about before, Inner City Pressure, the, the story of Grime, uh, that gives you the background to a lot of that kind of stuff and the scenes and where it went and... And really, Stormzy is the natural um, kingmaker almost of the scene now in terms of pop music. He's um, he's selling out arenas and performing at the Brits and winning awards. And he is popular. And, you know, Gang Sign the Prayer came out. It really was cemented that uh, situation for him. He was considered the uh, the apex of grime in terms of um, the mainstream. And accepted. So here we have it again. He's back with a new track, and um, this is called Bossy Bop." And um, it has a nice uh, video to it. It is fine. It's fine. Yeah. Um, it's a nice bop, I guess. Um, it definitely feels like an in-between uh, album release single kind of mm. thing. It's like a, it's a fine track. I know the loads of Stormzy fans out there who just love him, and he can do no wrong. But you agree? So
0: I like the sound of this song it's that kind of really minimal just old school his voice and this like just just this really kind of old school beat and I like that because I think that that gives him the opportunity to kind of show off his lyrical prowess which I unfortunately don't think he did on this record on this song um don't know there's just some lyrics that rub me up the wrong way man
3: uh, like there's some lazy lyrics here I would yeah say.
0: Yeah, the, it, the, yeah like the whole song is just a bit like you know i'm stealing your girl and then you can have her back because she's shit and like okay so the lyrics in the chorus there's uh, i tell your girls link me at the coffee shop getting freaky in the sheets we we're talking body shots then I finish with a facial just to top it off. And I'd like to think that, you know, he's bringing her to a spa and treating her to a nice day. But <laughs> I can't. Um, if
3: if that was you and uh, then um, yeah, you're I, more of a fool. Yeah, I, I, can't, I can't guarantee that that's what it is.
0: <laughs> um, so, yeah, I don't know. I, I just think that there's some there's some lazy lyrics here. And there's there's the odd kind of um, there's little little nods to kind of uh, he, he says, fuck the go fuck the government and fuck Boris and I'm like well I'd much rather hear you rap about that yeah than, which he has
3: talked to you about in the past in yeah I definitely
0: want like to hear his thoughts about what's going on in the UK at the moment and I don't necessarily want to listen to misogynistic sexist lyrics for the sake of them like
3: I think the song is a flex and yeah it's Probably not going to feature on an album. I hope, but I could be wrong. Mm-hmm. Um, I would hope that's what's happening with this. It's the it's the flexing thing. Yeah. The video is, is the video
0: is really fun, actually. Yeah, a lot of
3: kids dancing, doing very cool moves. Yeah, it's very cool. It's like it's a it. cool video to um, to
0: look at. We were saying we were watching it before we started recording, and um there's a moment where he's in a nightclub and. He looks all cool and... But his suit doesn't fit him.
3: <laughs> he's he's standing beside Idris Elba and,
0: and... it just looks so wrong.
3: He He's definitely wearing a suit that's not tailored for his uh, definitely, body. Definitely, yeah. And, yeah and it's he, such a
0: shame because Stormzy...
3: You shouldn't stand beside Idris Elba in, well, a, in yeah. an ill-fitting suit.
0: <laughs> well, maybe the suit fit him fine, but if you stand next to Idris Elba, like, <laughs> Idris Elba's it like like sewn the, into his clothes. It looked like the
3: one they you know the the secondary one in case they spilled coffee on the first sure. one and they spilled coffee on the first one so like, oh. maybe um, yeah so uh, but yeah
0: is, no definitely like this hasn't you know dampened my love for Stormzy or anything but i just think he can do lyrically so much better than this and uh, i look forward to him actually doing it
3: okay that is stormzy with Vozzy bob from the storm to uh, to sunshine we oh, very have good. from stormzy <laughs> to bruce springsteen this is uh, a brand new song from the boss called hello sunshine
5: Hello, sunshine, won't you stay? You know I always like my walking shoes But you can get a little too fond of the blue. You walk too far, you walk away Hello, sunshine, won't you stay? You know I always loved a lonely time Those empty streets, no
2: one.
3: That's a new song from Bruce, and uh, it's called Hello Sunshine. It is from an upcoming album called Western Stars, out June 14. He's described Western Stars, his first new album in five years, as a return to my solo recordings featuring character-driven songs and sweeping cinematic orchestral arrangements. Certainly sounds like that here.
0: Yeah, for sure. This This is why he's the boss, man. These lyrics are so good and simple.
3: It's a really beautiful song.
0: And they get across so much. It's... It's such a beautiful song and I'm so, so, so happy that he's back with such a strong song. Pitchfork named this best new song. <laughs> like people are loving it. Like I, I'm, I'm a big fan of Bruce Springsteen. My mom is a massive Bruce Springsteen fan, but I don't have the knowledge of his back catalog that I would like to have. Um, And I'm definitely gonna, you know delve into that a bit more.
3: This is the first thing he's done since the Broadway musical which Mm -hmm. I haven't watched it was on Netflix I think it probably still is but um, it just didn't seem like the kind of thing I was going to be interested in. Sure. You know Um, it kind of affected stage show in the form of a humble brag <laughs> yeah <laughs> you know yeah. and he's always done that kind of character driven stuff as well which he's been really good at he's obviously great at writing anthemic songs mm-hmm. and his shows are legendary and epic and uh, go on for hours long sometimes never any supports because why would you need support i um, have a memory of um i've seen him once he was great
0: i've i've never seen him but i have a memory of um being a teenager, it says about fourteen or so, and he was playing in Dublin. And there was buses. So in 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 my house that I was living in at the time in Finglas, like me and my mom there, he was playing in Dublin, and she couldn't get tickets so if you go out to my back garden there's like this little pole and you can stand on the pole and you can see out to the main road and I go out to the back garden and Mom is standing on the pole looking at all the buses going down the main road on their way to Bruce Springsteen and I'll just never forget the look on her face she was so upset that she wasn't going and I'm just like yeah my, my mom is you know she's a rock music fan and I thought she was really cool for that so oh,
3: yeah, I love nice, Bruce I for that I used to live in Sandy Mountain right beside Lansdowne Road and anytime there was a a, a gig on the locals would get in free. Oh, nice. Um but I was too young really to go to those gigs. so a lot of what we used to do is to have family over to sit in the back garden when when like Frank Sinatra was on. Yeah. In in, in the in Lansdowne Road and uh yeah Michael Jackson was on One year And I remember Gosh. Like that being a big Obviously a big thing And uh, Yeah just like That weird thing Where you get I in I friends in Slane Who used to do Yeah that. you get yeah. in free to matches At half time for free Yeah Like you, you know They'd let you in Because they know Oh you're a, you're a local yeah, go, go on in. In. <laughs> <It's all right. laughs> I um, know your face Yeah but, uh, um, but yeah, I once forgot to tell my family I, I went wandering into a match. <laughs> obviously, it was four mobile phones and they were like, where did you go? I was like, I went to the match, obviously. <laughs> Scored um, a
0: goal. <laughs> yeah,
3: but uh, Bruce's sets are legendary. He has fans who go to every gig and who will go multiple times. Yeah, He uh, attracts super fans like few others. Mm. Few other than the likes of Taylor Swift, perhaps, um, who has a new song out featuring um, your man. <laughs> Brendan I can't, I can't see Brendan Yuri Of Panic at Disco I couldn't see you his full name You weren't
0: an emo Were you? No
3: I couldn't <laughs> see his full name There I couldn't remember what it was Uh His song is called Me It sounds like this
4: I know that I was Psycho On the phone I never leave Well enough
2: alone And trouble's gonna Follow where I go And there's a lot Of cool shit But one of these things Is not like the others Like a ring about me. I know you never get just what you see, but I will never bore you, baby. And when we had that fight out in the rain, you ran after me and called my name. I never want to see you walk away. Cause one of these things is not like the others. Living in winter, winter I, I am your summer. It'll be when it, it comes to a, a lover. lover.
0: That
3: you'll never find another like me That was Taylor Swift (laughs) Song is called Me (laughs) If you didn't guess (laughs) (laughs) Song is called Me Um, Me
0: exclamation point uh,
3: Dorky empowerment pop for the masses Is what she can excel at And uh, this is probably uh, a, A bad example Or a good example of that perhaps It's like it's so no, nah, it's so saccharine, and so it's like something from a musical. It has it no bite whatsoever. the Oh, there's
0: no bite anymore. She's not in the snake exactly. thing. Exactly. Now it's butterfly. Now it's
3: just like blandness. Yeah. I don't know. Like,
0: I don't look, know. I I root for Taylor Swift. I I'm interested in like if she does anything. I'm I'm looking at it. You know, I've been interested in the kind of the rollout of. her latest PR campaign where she for the second time deleted everything off her Instagram and started posting all these like cryptic things and it was all leading up to this song there are things I like in this song um I love the brass in the chorus I love the percussion in it and I think their their voices work very very well together the two of them but that's that's about it. I don't think it's a strong return. I think, as a. It's not a good
3: comeback single. No, by any
0: she's, she said, uh, Me is a song about embracing your individuality and really celebrating it, owning it. I think that with a pop song, we have the ability to get a melody stuck in people's heads, and I want it to be one that makes them feel better about themselves. I think that's what Shake It Off did. Yeah. That isn't what this is
3: doing. Shake It Off had something extra, like it had that magic. Pop song mm.
0: But even with like, like it
3: had that Extra magic that would draw Other people who weren't Taylor Swift fans This just feels like It's aimed at a very specific Small audience or something Yeah Or like and I think, It's so broad that like No one's gonna really care Too much about it
0: Yeah uh, The lyrics are I, I don't find them empowering I find them insufferable Yeah I I, I don't think This kind of Cocky Like I, I, This This attitude Isn't Self care and self love and self confidence. This attitude sounds like it's just someone being really mean about other people. Yeah, and I don't know. Like, can you imagine if this was a conversation? Like, I'm assuming that this being a duet is supposed to be a conversation between the two people. So Taylor Swift is saying, "I'm I'm the best. You'll never find another one like me." And then the other person is saying. I'll never find another one like you. Imagine knowing that couple. Like, they would be the most insufferable people. There's,
3: there's a great SNL sketch of, of two people who clearly are... Are supposed to be in love, but they right. just bickering each at each other the whole yeah. time. It's exactly that. It's exactly it's that. It's like I love you, babe, and then they're just fighting. What did you say about me?
0: Yeah, you I know? also think she's she's better than a lyric like I know that I went psycho on the phone. Don't use the word psycho to describe that. That's it's just all of it's bad. Th- um, well, that's like that's an offensive word. Don't use that. You're better than this. Like she's is one, she though?
3: She I is. Know. Oh, sometimes I think she has the ability to, to be really good. But
0: 1989 is I I still think the pop album of the decade. Like, I think it is perfect from start to finish. It's fantastic. It's the music she needs to be making. How how did Reputation... I didn't... You didn't... Didn't didn't like like it at
3: all. Uh, I enjoyed the line from the Pitchfork Reviews that said, if Swift's venomous reputation as a bad girl sometimes felt forced, this song felt like a punishment. And that's exactly what it feels (laughs) like. Yeah. I also called it a corporate jingle and it does feel like that. It's like, all singing, all dancing, no heart, no soul. This Uh,
0: song feels like when you're like teacher brings over the bully and says, "Now say sorry." Yeah, this is this. The bully sings this song. I don't like it. I don't like the sneering tone of it. I don't like that. I. It's it has that particular hate
3: like it. pop melody going on uh, the back and forth that I melodically is fine. You I know, I hate it. It's, oh really? I'd never listen. to I
0: think it. like look like, as as, as a song that you know she she's saying with with pop songs you have the ability to get the the tune in your head that that does happen with this song it is it is a catchy song a catchy song doesn't a good song make but I just think the overall tone of this is not the direction I want Taylor Swift to be going
3: in and I think it's an awful shame Fair enough okay our last song of the week is from FKA Twigs which actually came out while we were recording this podcast last week but we sure we couldn't listen to it and We needed and dissect it, it at the same time but this is called Cellophane
2: God, I have no one to
3: song is called cellophane um a relatively low-key and straightforward return for her more an atmospheric kind of song directly uh, always known for her uh, maybe out there production the video certainly has some of that flavor to it and mm. um, kind of computer generated worlds and and oddness and her doing her uh kind of strange pole dancing to it and mm. falling through the earth and, and sky. And it's very cool. Um I like this song. I think it it's a really good showcase for her voice. Mm. Um and what she can do with it. Um it's a bit more direct than some of her previous atmospheric stuff or early stuff. Uh less pop and less obviously um full-bodied in terms of production than uh, from her first album, LP1. Um, what did you think of this? I'm, uh, yeah, really, really big fan
0: of this. I don't think we've heard her sing like this before. Um, it reminded me of the, with the directness, it reminded me of, of um, Water Me, the song from oh, um, yeah, yeah, yeah. the first EP oh, she that had. That was that was the first song I ever heard of hers, and I was absolutely blown away by it. But yeah, definitely um, more pared back than than even the... EP two and that M three L L one five five X is. Are you supposed to say that as numbers? I don't know, but um, it's, that that was a lot we, more kind of
3: yeah, I you know, know
0: experimental is. production and things in that.
3: Is it Mellow? What is it so, called?
0: Yeah, Melissa, Melissa. Yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm yeah. not cool enough to understand these things. It's just, <laughs> but I, I think are I was, you never uh, into vaporwave. <laughs> <laughs> Come on, for a time <laughs> I watched some YouTube videos, um, but yeah, for me she's. She's an artist in her own world. I feel like she doesn't she doesn't really exist in the music industry. She exists somewhere between the music industry and like theater and dance. Uh, she's You talked
3: about Beyonce last week as a visual artist. Yeah. Here's another visual ab- absolutely. artist. Absolutely. Like, Always has been from the very start. A yeah. uh, visual artist even. An amazing, I must, send it to you if you haven't heard it or seen it before, a um, really good Yours Truly session where she does a performance in like a, a rainforest or something I like that. I have seen that. It's and amazing. It's, incredible. it's so good. And it's yeah. just like, she has vision and is willing to go completely outside the lines. Yeah. Um, and... I've seen her live. You've seen her live before? No, God. I mean, oh. a good example of her live show is the mic drop uh, on on YouTube So we would type in FKA doing his mic drop. Mm. And like she's an amazing dancer and she does this mic drop thing. It's fucking brilliant. Mm. Um and she, personally she's been through a lot in the last few years. Um just last year she revealed she went through some surgery to b- remove um, some tumors in her uterus. Uh, And she described the experience of living with a fruit bowl of pain every day. Um, And I think she had to kind of relearn how to dance uh, after all that as well. And then went out with Robert Pattinson. Not that we care about it, but it's noticeable that, you know, it's notable because she got a lot of death threats and all this kind of stuff. Yeah, she was
0: harassed and bullied because of that. And you you can't help but hear that in this song, I think. The, The kind of feeling of, like, there's just such desperation in her voice. I think she works it into her voice so beautifully where there's nearly this ugliness to it. There's nearly like a, there's a bite to it when she, especially when she's like sliding up the register in, in the chorus, it, you don't know whether she's going to keep singing or she's just going to start screaming. And it's, you know, existing on that, like lip of just nearly falling over the edge is i think something that she does so beautifully and so vulnerably and she's just she's she's a, vulnerable yeah i think that's yeah. what it is
3: and she's able to get that across with her 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 vocals and her range and
0: as well as her movement and her yeah. her vision for her music videos and and shows i think she's just
3: i'm really glad fantastic. she's still making music to be honest cuz like her album came out in 2014 And she's had a few bits, obviously, since then, but I'm just really glad to have her back. I think we are much better off in music having somebody like FKA Twigs around continue to make music, um... And I'm just happy she's here. Me too. Back again, yeah. doing it again. So uh, that's FKA Twigs. That's it for our Songs of the Week this week. And now it is time to have a quick chat. Uh, <coughs> Luke <coughs> Sharkey, <coughs> our our own Luke Sharkey, met uh, Bridie Mons Watson. That is who you will know as Soak, um, who just released her second album, Grimtown, last week. Bridie is still just 22 years old. Uh, I first saw her when she was 15, I think, playing at Other Voices. Mm. Um, so this is her second album now. Um, it, first one came out in 2015 called uh, Before We Forgot How to Dream. So she's still 22 years old. She made a very comp- accomplished and individual record. It is likely to be uh, featured as one of the best Irish albums uh, released this year. And uh, Luke had a chat with her in the Exchequer Hotel for us in the in the library bar so uh, this is Luke chatting to Soak
6: managed to get out of the rain here on Exchequer Street and I'm in the uh, Central Hotel and I'm joined by Bridie Mons Watson, also known as Soak. Hey. Thank you so much for doing the interview.
4: No problem. Thanks for coming to this weird hotel. <laughs>
6: <laughs> yeah, we were saying it's definitely um, one of the nicer places I've ever done an interview so as <laughs> well. <laughs> um, so I want to talk about the new album, Grimtown. Um, I was lucky enough, if I was sent a promo copy um, oh. about a week ago, so I've listened to it loads of times now. It's a fantastic album. Thanks very much. Um, but I think the first question I'd love to ask you is, um, it's been about four years since your debut record, yeah. was it important to you that you were able to take some time out between records?
4: Yeah, um, it was a really conscious decision to kind of have some time for myself because the first album kind of felt like a five-year process um, of touring and it was kind of out from when I was 14 to 18, 19, so really important growing up time. So when I was finished that tour, I kind of... I just needed some time for myself. I was a bit burnt out. and um, I needed to reestablish uh, connections and situations with my friends and family. So I just, yeah, I wanted some time to grow up outside of music. And I think I was trying to realize who I was if I wasn't involved in music and what I was about. Um, so, yeah, it was a conscious decision. And then I decided I wasn't going to do any show until I finished my album, because that was the priority in me, was to finish my album before anything else. Fantastic. And... um and yeah it ended up being like two years which was not my intention because i really like to play shows and that was quite hard not to but um yeah i'm glad i took my time with the album it definitely wouldn't be the same thing had i rushed it, it would have been false and shit. so for sure i'm really glad with the way it's turned out and i'm glad i took the time and yeah it's given me a chance to just obviously i'm so lux- like lucky and privileged to ha- have a career in music and be able to do that but it was nice to take a break and do some normal stuff for a while.
6: Yeah, and the label were completely behind you taking that break yeah, and stuff. Yeah,
4: that was so lucky as well. Like My label were just on board with me the whole time. They just gave me my time to do what I was going to do and trusted me with that. So I felt very grateful to have them on board.
6: That's so fantastic. Yeah. Um, I mean, I first saw you play it was the first ever longitude in Marley Park in 2013.
4: Long long time, time ago. ago. Yeah. yeah.
6: <laughs> um, and I saw you play in the woodland stage. I think I it was think just you I wore
4: and wore a bear suit or something. You were wearing a onesie that a day. A onesie. Oh, <laughs> that makes me hate myself. It was all like the Tumblr. time. <laughs> Jesus. It yeah. Was, it was all the time. It was all the time.
6: Um but and the, I remember I loved loved seeing you play. I loved what you played the set you played that day. Um but just listening to Grimtown and versus the new album versus the old album versus what you sounded like then the difference is just massive and the the development in the songwriting for you how do you feel that you've come you've developed along in the songwriting?
4: I think I mean it's so weird because the first album was like it, it came out when I was 18 but I'd been writing it for so long that a lot of the songs were from I was 13 to 16 so the songwriting was very of its time and with this record I tried a lot, new, different techniques, like, I wrote a lot on piano, I wrote with other people. I just gave everything a go to try and see what I was capable of, and yeah. I was really pushing my limitations, because I didn't want to be born, and I wanted to develop, and I wanted more. I'm never satisfied. So, um, yeah, I was tried a lot, and I, wanted to, I really, really, really didn't want to make my first album again. I didn't want to make anything that sounded like that. I like it, I'm proud of it, but I wanted to move on, and I wanted to show people what I was capable of, And I was more confident, I had more to say, and I wasn't scared to say it. And I was really scared of my first album of everything, the whole world. So (laughs) just naturally, as I grew up, I think a lot of things changed as they do for anyone going between the ages 13 to 22. Um, But yeah, I tried a lot and I put myself out of my comfort zone. And I guess I was just really motivated to do something that I was proud of before anything else and something that I thought was cool. Because I mean, ultimately, you're stuck with yourself. Like if you release an album you hate, you're stuck with it. Yeah and like you know i feel confident about it because i like it <laughs> so for that's, sure that's the main point
6: i think that's a totally fairly place confident the album is really really strong um, and i noticed certain tracks like um i was blue technicolor Two especially i think was probably my favorite track off the record cool. um they have such a full like a kind of like an 80s pop Sound. Thanks. Um and the, the arrangements in the album throughout the album are much fuller. The textures are much thicker. Yeah. Um and this was obviously a conscious choice.
4: Yeah, absolutely. I um I just I I love music and I constantly listen to music. Uh constantly trying to consume different types of media, I guess, subconsciously unconsciously in twenty nineteen. Um but yeah, I I love I've just I've been listening to so many records and Finding so many new artists and different ways of writing songs and different ways of producing songs and you know string sections everything. Um, just trying to educate myself. Was so that much. something you
6: had sort of the strings, especially on my touch upon like Valentine time Yeah, time <laughs> Is this, is writing for strings something you had any experience in, or is this totally no, uh, learning? A lot as you of it go? was
4: guesswork, and a lot of it was I was lucky. I was working with a producer called Aunt Whiting, who's a who's a really good friend now, and through that we just kind of had a really good understanding of I could describe a sound and he could make it. So, and he trusted in me and my ideas and that's something I really appreciated was someone being confident about everything. Basically, I was just like really anal about the whole album, it was really annoying. It was like, I want this, I'm not going to settle for anything less. And then did that and trusted me to do what I was going to do as well. So, we were lucky in that way. And I just wanted to make an album that was unpredictable and production-wise something that was interesting from a musician's point of view, regardless of the context of the song. Um, something that was unpredictable. That's why like I was Blue Technicology was a big massive guitar drop bit. Yeah, for so sure. I just listened like Sonic Youth and Car Seat Headrest and just wanted to have fun on stage as well. L- make the listener have fun or hope the listener has fun. And just do something that I enjoyed. Whilst also trying to touch on every spectrum of emotion and, you know, sonically as well.
6: For certainty. Um, what do you feel um, is the significance well what is the significance of the title Grimtown
4: Grimtown so like Grimtown is a state of mind essentially and the whole idea the whole album is just as if I got my brain I put it on a plate and then I just like wrote about that plate Um, and I was just I wrote the record for myself primarily because I was in a really bad moment of depression and it's kind of lost in every element, so I wrote the album to, I don't know, I just, I made Grimtown so that I could look at my life from a different perspective and hopefully process all my issues and all the underlying shit and all the different stories from an outsider's point of view. Um, and in that way I felt understood and I my main hope for the album is that other people hear it and feel understood or hear themselves in it. Um, so Grindtown's not—it doesn't actually exist. I guess I built it out of my mental state and the location that I was in, which is quite a rural kind of area of Ireland. Um, but yeah, it's it's mainly a mindset.
6: So it was the idea the uh, the idea of the um, the concept of the writing and the lyrics and the idea of sort of artist catharsis?
4: Yeah, in a way, like it was as if I know I saw this album as I guess as all artists do, kind of make art out of pain or whatever. As pretentious as that sounds, but. Um, yeah, for me, it was as if I was writing in a journal or something to make the album. It was the most accurate way I could express how I felt. Yeah. Yeah.
6: Um, I saw an interview you did in 2009, a YouTube interview for, Jesus. uh, Skins. Um, and you oh, said, yeah. uh, <laughs> you were talking blood. about blood and you said that you only ever write songs about real life events. Yeah. Is that tr- still true to this day?
4: At that point in time, that was definitely true. I've, that's definitely changed. Like I. I've never. I don't think I've ever wrote a, like a fictional song that didn't have some element of truth. Definitely, every song on this album is very personal and me-oriented. Uh, but I've done some co-writes and written some songs for other people that were songs that weren't necessarily about a direct situation, more th- more feeling. But I've never, I've never told a story that wasn't mine yeah to this point yeah
6: and you said you've been you've been writing for other artists co-writers yeah. and stuff like that how is that versus writing for yourself? What is that like? It's
4: fun because it takes for me it takes the personal element of like it can be quite exhausting and it's a lot of mental energy to say a lot of things and to work out all the nonce of your brain um when it's that personal, so to do something completely unrelated is uh really exciting and just to step into somebody else's world and not have their own. I don't really limit myself musically and say, oh, I'm going to stick within a genre or anything like that, but I think naturally you just have your own capabilities and whenever you collaborate with other people, it's exciting to see how they think and how that'll in turn knock off how you think. And I I just think the collaborative process is really exciting and you never know where things are going to end up. And I don't know, to make something completely separate from me is really nice.
6: And do you... Do you use a little bit of that when you write your own albums? As in, do you show tracks when they're being written to friends or family or anything like that? and say... Not
4: when they're being written. I, I, I didn't show my family my album until it was finished.
6: Are you quite quite protective like that? Yeah.
4: The work? <laughs> well, I mean, yeah, more so as time goes on, I'm more protective of my music. Like, I won't send demos until they're perfect. And I don't send songs that I don't love, so people can't get attached to them and then want me to release them. You know what I mean? Um, so, yeah, I'm a lot more, I value, I guess, what I make a bit more and... I don't like showing a half done thing because you just I just end up spending the whole time annoyed because I'm like, oh, but you don't know what it'll sound like until it is this and this and this and this and this. Yeah,
6: for right. sure. Um I kind of picked up a vibe on some of the tracks in the new album. It sounds quite nostalgic. Um yeah. was thinking back to like where you grew up and how you grew up a big part of the, writing this album.
4: Yeah. Um when I fin- like when I finished the last album tour, I came back to Derry and was static and still for the first time in years and years. So I guess a lot of my life that I'd been avoiding or old memories of my, I don't know, just like things that you can avoid through distance and travel came back to haunt me. Um, And that's what threw me kind of into that whole era of depression and and just not really having a clue what was going on. Um, And I think yeah like Derry is a great place in the world, so it's like weird to do these interviews and be like it was really good. I just like was having a weird time, yeah for sure um it's yeah. it's home like it's home exactly, and you know obviously nostalgia comes with where you grow up, like it's natural, and I think I'm quite. I romanticize nostalgia in the way that obviously nostalgia itself is romanticized because, you only remember the good bits. Yes, for sure. Um, The rose-scented glasses, yeah. Yeah, and I was trying to reflect. Yeah, I was trying to do a lot of contrast and juxtaposition. Like with songs, like Knock Me Off My Feet, to the lyrical subject be very honest of feeling limited and wanting more, but also being appreciative of the childhood that I had had and feeling privileged for it. And sonically, I was trying to... I, I was... Visualizing all the times as kids that we would like underage drink or set off fireworks and throw them at each other or like just crazy Just stupid stuff you do as a kid that you get away with because you're stupid and young. um. And I was visualizing that and trying to make that a sound And that's why it's so fun. That's why the guitar is just like that whole weird nostalgia pop kind of thing
6: Do you think that the time you spent away from home touring And the fact that you're kind of split between Manchester and Derry at the moment, is it?
4: I live in Manchester now, yeah.
6: Um, Do you think that that space away from where you grew up helped you feel that way? Or like that nostalgia to kind of breed it or whatever?
4: I think I still would have had that nostalgia had I not become a musician and toured and stuff like that and been away for so long. But I think definitely distance makes the heart grow fonder. And, you know, returning to a place I didn't know as well as I knew it when I left definitely threw me into like dreaming about olden days and, you know, romant- romanticizing that whole years of my life.
6: Did you feel a little bit of almost pressure then with the second album in Absolutely. that the first album was so breakthrough and it was so kind of personal work and then yeah. such a time has passed and I'm sure you bring a totally different perspective to your work and it's like, well this is who I am now Yeah. I hope people take it well.
4: <laughs> yeah. Um I think at the time I was getting those nominations and like the choice prize, everything like that, I was just, I don't think I'd, I'd really recognize what that meant. Uh, cause I'd, I'd never, I didn't have any expectation at any point for my music to reach anywhere. So everything felt like an achievement. And to, you know, I remember doing interviews and in, like red carpet for the Mercury Award and stuff like that. And people asking me, did I feel so much pressure now? And I remember at the time being like, nope, cause I didn't. <laughs> and I was completely clueless. I was just like, no, I would like just having a good time literally 18 years old i'm just having a really good You've time right my, now. my best life like, yeah, yeah literally like just having a good time and it was only after all that and when i'd slow down and could look at things with perspective that i recognized what that meant and the expectation that was now on me and i found the pressure crippling at the beginning um and i think that's why it took me a while to find this grim idea and took me a while to write songs about real life again yeah for um, sure. because i wasn't I just had to get over that initial pressure and that kind of false idea of having to write for it to be a success or for people to like it and realize that I had to write it so I would like it and I had to write it for me and that was the big breakthrough and that's what changed everything for me was and removed the element of self-doubt. But definitely the pressure was crippling at the start.
6: And you said before when you were writing this album that you really missed playing gigs. Is that uh, the touring lifestyle? Is that something that you really like? I I love
4: being on tour. I'm so comfortable in that environment. I love that as a band, we get to get tighter every single time we play, develop new ideas, new segments. It's just so exciting. And I always wanted to be in a band before I was ever a solo project. So to then to like have a band of friends that I play with who are really good musicians is like dream come true kind of.
6: How many are in the band on this tour?
4: There's four of us all together in the band now. There used to be three, but Sophie Gelpin has just joined it and she plays. Everyone in the band plays loads because there's a lot of stuff Definition on the album. so on, yeah. Everybody is like multi-instrumentalist. And Sophie just joins, so it's nice to have another girl on tour as well. Um, and yeah, it's like it's just such a fun thing when you can tour with people that you really like that, you know, it's we're a little family and it's going to be so much fun. And it's all new songs, so it's so exciting for us. And it's, like, music that people can dance to now. So we've got, like, a whole, like, dance crying scene going on, which is that's the way to do so it. fun. Happy Sad. Happy Sad, yeah. So I just can't wait. And all the more that Pillow Queens are coming with us, too. Like, it's going to be ten of us on a tour bus, and it's just going to be, I don't even know. <laughs> it's going to be, a, like... Well, it's uh, just such a joy.
6: I'm so excited to uh, seeing you and Dancing with the Crowd in Dublin in May. Yeah, um, thanks very much. So uh, Grimtown is out on April 26th. So thank you so much for the interview. Yeah, thank you very much. Cheers.
4: Cheers.
3: Thanks, Luke and Bridie, for your time and uh, appreciate that Uh, you can catch Soak at uh, the Button Factory on Thursday, May 30th. And do check out Grimtown, a really good uh, second album from the Derry girl herself. Um, Right. So that's nearly it from us. Uh, I guess we're going to talk spoilers. Are we allowed to talk spoilers? Yeah. Yeah, Um, Well, have
0: you been listening or reading to anything that isn't?
3: Uh, no, okay,
0: fair. <laughs> um, I listen. frankly, no, to um, I listened to the new Mountain Goats album. If you're a fan of Mountain Goats, it's unreal. Oh, I'll
3: tell you what I was listening to I was listening to a lot of the new albums that were released in the last week. Oh, go on then, including what did I really enjoy? Um, well, I was listening to Soak uh, Aldous Harding, enjoying that. Yeah, I fantastic. hated the Marina and the Diamonds album. Hated it, hated it, hated it. Hated it. Uh, there's a I'm shouting out Pitchfork a lot this week. I seem to have read a lot of their stuff this week but it was a really good review of of Love and Fear, her new album and it explains why in very simple terms, why can't really understand and the the reviewer can't really understand why she's made her music so reductive and bland Mm. and she was always such an interesting artist for me and uh, just no interest in what she's doing on this album. It's She's worked with a Max Martin protege and it has all the tropes of, of pop music that are the worst and the blandest and just sounds like everybody else and very disappointed about that. Sure. Loyal Karner, been enjoying his album a lot. I didn't get to see him over the weekend on Saturday, but uh, he was good and uh, I was just DJing a lot otherwise. So that's that's pretty much my buzz. Um,
0: cool. Um, I was listening to the new Kevin Morby album. It's fantastic. Oh yeah, yeah. Um, really, really good.
3: We post about that today on the site. Um.
0: Yes, yeah, really big, f- uh, really big fan of that album. I uh, want to kind of delve into his stuff a bit more. Um, but I listen to, oh, um, the new Foxygen record is garbage. It's really bad. <laughs> Wrote a review of it for The Thin Air if you want to read it. But um, I gave it a very, very, very generous two stars um, because it's just, it's bloated garbage. It's their last album. They're singing about it being their last album. And there's basically nothing of interest on it. Um, they should have just ended it already. Oh, yeah. bad. Um, that's probably about it. And as I said, the Mountain Goats album is very enjoyable for fans of the Mountain Goats. Oh, I've also listened to the Fontaine's
3: not. album since then. Have you? <laughs> yeah, I've been going back to it now. I like it. Yeah.
0: Uh, oh, and the Soak album, obviously. Um, fantastic. Yeah, Really uh, blown yeah. away by that. Anyway.
3: Yeah, the, the Game other,
0: of the Thrones. Yeah,
3: so obviously, if you haven't uh, watched the the latest episode, episode three of Game of Thrones, yeah, stop don't, listening. Don't listen to us anymore. Stop it. Bye. I got up here. Uh, we're recording this on Tuesday because I'm away for the rest of the week. So uh, we're making this. Uh, it's so fresh in my memory that I'm I'm still reliving it. I guess. Mm. <laughs> um. So the Game of Thrones episode, the the long night, the the biggest, most hyped, um, battle, uh, sequence. Shot filmed. over 55 nights. Um, I really enjoyed it. I loved the darkness of it, even though your your TV didn't enjoy that.
0: <laughs> so I had a nightmare. My TV, right, this is a call out at, at LG, right? My TV, we looked it up. They, there's a bug in the TV where... If there's not enough color going onto the screen, the screen will just go completely black where there's like no pixels um because you know the way, there's a difference between watching black on a on a TV show or a film and your TV being off. This is essentially the TV kept visually turning off, so you had to get the other TV in, and then we i I know there's a lot of purists out there that will hate me for this, and I'm sorry, but I'm also not sorry. I put the brightness up to ninety and I You do you, it's fine. I just enjoyed the episode so much more with it. I loved the episode. I was like, the noises coming out of me throughout it. I I watched it on Monday
3: morning. It was definitely one of the most stressful things I've (laughs) ever done on Monday morning. (laughs) What what a way way to start your week. Yeah. (laughs) 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 I, yeah, I I loved, I loved the story. I loved how much they the pace of it. I loved the music. There was such beautiful music in it. Um, I'm probably surprised that more people didn't die overall. I don't um, mind
0: that okay. I think that's the surprise
3: Yeah Well I, I mean uh, They have a lot to To give us now In terms of what's going to happen mm. with, with the major characters There's less than four hours left mm. In the entire um, Show So it'll be interesting What happens Yeah Obviously uh, Arya And the Night King I think it was perfect It was perfect Because all of perfect. that Stuff that I saw Saw a lot of people
0: online um, I mean I sought it out I went on the Game of Thrones Reddit like But <laughs> saw a lot of people Saying that Um you know, it was too easy for Arya to get in, it wasn't explained very well. What do you think the library sequence was showing you that she's, and, and the past like yeah. five seasons, she's an assassin, she's, she's quieter at moving around than the noise of blood hitting the floor. That's what that scene was telling us. She yeah. is silent.
3: I think, uh, yeah, and also, you know, what I loved about all of it was that, like, there's uh, a lot of threads about the foreshadowing And all of it With oh, the, yeah, yeah. the eyes and the blue eyes And the green eyes Who's going to be the green eyes um, But also Like two episodes ago And when Jon Snow was there And uh, she snuck up on him It was like How did you sneak up on me? That was in the exact same spot That's
0: in front of the tree
2: Yeah
3: And then Brienne showing her uh, Fighting with her And her using that same move So mm. It's a lot of lovely foreshadowing That really like makes sense And it yeah. doesn't come from left field And I watched actually watched it again Last night mm. And there's a part Where one of the White Walkers Just kind of turns his head As if it, Like When you watch it again You're like Oh that's Arya So he oh, cops right One of the other White Walkers um, Like sees yeah, That yeah. something's going and on my That's fav- great My favourite tweet From the week was uh, Oh do I have it open here I think I might have a uh, God grant me the uh, the confidence of a mediocre white walker. <laughs> just like not giving a shit. Yeah. Um, but I, I really love that. I thought it was great. And uh, it's great that she was the hero. John Snow and. Useless. Is, he's a useless. A pair of them. He's useless. And it's Danny. Useless. And they're so useless. Like, oh, whatever. Um, I did
0: find it really funny at the end when, you know, it was building up all this tension. Um, the Night King literally has, has Bran in his grasp. And John is just like fumbling like running around as if he's trying to find his friends on a night out it's like he can't <laughs> he can't grab onto anything he's so stressed and so exhausted and I'm like well it's not gonna be him you know but I just I didn't I forgot that I was so stressed that I forgot that Melisandra had told Arya had basically said like you know what do we say to the god of death yeah. that, that whole thing just completely went down in my head okay. also the crypt thing amazing. Loved the moment between Tyrion and Sansa. I thought that was really well done because as I've spoken about before on the podcast, I'm re-watching it from the beginning.
3: So where are you at now? We
0: just finished season three.
3: Okay. So All we right.
0: just had the Red Wedding. Okay. Um, <laughs> it went down very well. Big shock. Um, the whole thing was fantastic. But there's a lot of, I I genuinely think that the best way to watch a Game of Thrones series is, you know, new is to rewatch the old series alongside it. I'm getting so much out of it; like it's it's my new hack. Definitely <laughs> do. It. I'm going to do it with Better Call Saul when that comes out as well. Oh, it's,
3: right, great. Yeah, there's uh, there were some great, like just sh- cinematic shots in the episode. Yeah. The the part where the Dothraki get extinguished in the distance oh, yeah. um, was chilling. Yeah, and really, really well done because yeah. you don't know what's coming. When and you're at any moment time.
0: where there was light given you know like where the or the or or taken away when all the when all the fire is extinguished when they met the the wall of white walkers for the first time i thought that was stunning yeah the wall it was was exactly like a rush like a wave of white walkers
3: and i love the part where um the uh, the or the dead start falling on the fire they realize. i
0: was screaming at my tv because one of them did it and i was like no they're hardly going to do that and then they kept doing it and I was like they're doing it I was so stressed and do you know what else It's it had me it had me so stressed that I was forgetting things about the world so when the Night King did that like flick of his hands and all the dead from Winterfell rose back up again I'd just forgotten that he could do that and I was like oh, no what does it mean and I was watching it with my housemate and he was like Yeah, like we knew that was going to happen the whole time. And I was like, I know, but I forgot because I'm really stressed. It was the same with the crypts thing. When the dead started to come alive in the crypts. I was like, oh no. And then he was like, this has been obvious since last week. And I'm like, I know, I don't, I just, you forget. I'm so, I'm in the middle of a war here. Like I can't think about these things. But yeah, and on the not enough people died. The thing is like the only people left are the best warriors in Westeros. Like it,
3: it. I could, I feel like they should like have, Sam, like I w- I'm surprised Brienne isn't gone. Or I'm glad she's there. Not. Were so many opportunities. Sam even. I I there was, was so terrified many opportunities that Pod was for going go. to go, um, and Pod could have easily went no. at some point because like he's he's a lesser character in, no. in lots of ways. Right? I love him. <laughs> I know he's great. He's, he's great. So but, uh, you know, uh, I think it's just uh, people that are going to ask. now presumably. They will answer us in the next couple uh, few weeks. Oh yeah! In terms of how safe those main characters actually are, mm. but I think it just to go through that massive hyped battle and yeah. live through it is. Well, look, the they're going to have to get some serious deaths. Yeah, is what I'm saying.
0: The battle is over, but the war continues. You know, we have to go south. <laughs> so okay, what's well, Cersei, we'll
3: go. We'll go south we'll now. Go south. No, actually, <laughs> I'll go won't. south
0: to the Sugar Club to the Antlers gig. We're That's where I'm often.
3: <laughs> slightly north. Uh, we're going to finish our uh, episode with a song from a Dundalk three piece called uh, Larry. Yes. They had a self titled album called Larry. I haven't heard it yet. This is uh, your recommendation Absolutely this week, a Fantastic
0: album. Uh, can't recommend it enough. Just an absolute breath of fresh air. Um, re- really, really cool sound. If you're into you know kind of indie music, the stuff I talk about here. If you're into that, you'll definitely like this. Um, especially this song that we're going to play, Doggo. It's just it's it, it like affected me in the heart. It's I really very, like it. it's a very good doggo, very good, He's a good boy. Uh, <laughs> this was
3: recorded in Chicago with a noted poker player, Steve Albini. Um, so this is one of the songs from the album, uh, Larry, self-titled from the band Larry. This song called Doggo. See ya, bye.
5: a lovely spot We can run through the trees Be ourselves sometimes Such a lovely place We can be any day of the year I know one day you'll find A dog for you A dog that's the best of friends you will be You'll love him to death And he will love you too You will love him to death And he will love you too Take your time It's real I know it's tough I can feel it In the back of my head Just push it out Let it creep Out into the day Although I'll miss my home Well I believe a thousand times To be here or there or anywhere that's strange you know when it's right you know when it's real i can't promise you'll feel fine if love is all you need i promise you won't lose mine. well if love is all you need i promise